Hello, Cinefans. I'm Kendall Kruver, and this is Watching Classic Movies. My guest is Millie DeChirico, programmer for Turner Classic Movies, including TCM Underground, and co-host of the Essential Movie Podcast, I Saw What You Did. While it is a period in her career that many find lacking, Millie and I are big fans of the movies Elizabeth Taylor made from the mid-60s through the 70s. We had to talk about the unique magic of Taylor in middle age. Still beautiful and outrageously famous, but making bolder choices in her performances and choice of roles. Welcome, Millie. Thank you for joining me today. Oh my gosh, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Well, now ever since you program Boom at the TCM Classic Film Festival, I have wanted to have a talk with you about Elizabeth Taylor. Mm. And that desire increased when on your Instagram, you said something about Elizabeth Taylor from about the mid 60s through the 70s is your favorite actress, which is precisely how I feel about Elizabeth Elizabeth Taylor. So tell me, tell me what you love Mm. about Elizabeth Taylor in this period. Oh my gosh. There's just so much. So there are moments, I think, before in her filmography where I feel like it's kind of like a precursor to what we, I mean, obviously stuff like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but also even to me, like suddenly last summer, which, you know, she was, it was still like, like late fifties, kind of her, you know, that era, the classic Liz era or whatever. But there are moments I think that are scattered within her, even her early work that it feels like it was sort of like a precursor to what this era that we love is, right? I think for me personally, she seems, and I've I've never having known her, only reading about her and kind of studying her films as a viewer. To me, she has this sort of, this big kind of like F you attitude almost to, almost to her, her earlier career. She feels a lot more daring. She's really not, trying to be the demure cute girl that she was always known for she's taking a lot of risks and like there's something about that to me that just really strikes me as interesting and compelling because you know at that point she was obviously like moving towards middle age she was such she was a child star she'd been in the business for so long and I think that that it was that period where she started making these like late 60s, 70s films. I mean, part of it is is because of the films just in general that were coming out in this era. They were a lot more uh, psychedelic or experimental, like a lot artsier, uh, especially in Europe. But it's that thing where I'm like, well, she's also like going there in a lot of ways. Like she's yeah. kind of refusing to be cute. And she's, you know, essentially embracing herself as a fully formed human being and leaning into her middle age and like that kind of thing. I just think that's really fascinating. Right. Agreed on all points. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I feel like there was a part of her that was rebelling against how restrictive her childhood had been. And she's just kind of like, screw you all. She's just yelling and throwing things. There's those calm moments too, where you see how she's developed as a performer, despite you know how odd these films are yeah the best part of it is when she just cuts loose yeah she just says I've had enough and you know she's in her 40s she's not going to be the star that she was but she's never going to be anything but Elizabeth Taylor the star yes at the same time so there's always this kind of level at which she's playing it's always big 
Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's, I think child stars are really fascinating to me because we're kind of seeing it a little now. Like, I feel like there's some people who are in Hollywood who were young and very, very famous. Some of them are now like pivoting towards art films. I start thinking about the Twilight films, especially like I think about Kristen Stewart and now I'm forgetting his name. God, that's so tragic. Uh, Robert Pattinson, that's his name. About how now, you know, they were famous on a world scale, right? And when they were in their teens. And then now when they have the options, they like to be in more interesting films and they work with kind of European or international directors or art directors. And I'm like, that's that that to me feels like what Elizabeth Taylor was kind of doing in, in this yeah. era is that she was choosing to go to Italy and Europe and make movies with Joseph Losey. And so it's like a kind of one to me, it kind of symbolizes the fact that she was just like, well, I worked under the studio system at a very young age and I was always prized for my beauty. I mean, I read mm-hmm. the Donald Bogle biography that he did about her and Michael Jackson and just about how people would just like stop dead in the street seeing her like she's just her beauty was so prized from such a young age that you know at some point she probably even told herself like god i have i'm i I have to transition out of this somehow i can't be this my entire life so how how am i going to do it and so i think that she that's when she was basically making these films is that she's like well i don't care i'm going to do what i want i'm going to (laughs) burp and scream and drink and be kind of more authentically a person and not an ingenue. And I, I love it. And, you know, part of what I think was interesting about that boom screening at the film festival was that this, this film like hasn't played on TCM still because the rights were like so in flux. Mm. And I think people see it as a genuine curiosity. I mean, it was always like one of those movies that was like, no one's seen it. And it's this legendary flop and why is that happening and so let's figure it all out together and I think we all figure that out together like in the screening right (laughs) yes because people hated it and loved it yeah in equal measure and sometimes it was the same person hating it and loving it yeah yeah I think the look of it is enough to make you love it I think so I mean it's very very white <laughs> like I, I talk about this sometimes about how so Boom and Secret Ceremony kind of came out at the same time, or they were at least released in the same year, I believe, or at least w- maybe a year apart. And both of them being Joseph Losey movies. And Secret Ceremony is like the total opposite from Boom. Boom is this like white, sandy beach, like sun soaked artifact. And like Secret Ceremony is the dark, cloistered gothic baroque mansion right so it's kind of like do you take your liz light or dark like what's your what's (laughs) your both are very legendary both are deeply weird films at the core but yeah one is where like liz is on a mountaintop with it living in like a mud walled room i don't even know what this what this house is but yeah yeah, just the yelling (laughs) The, the, the pure passion behind those outbursts, I don't see how you couldn't love this movie. I, I know it gets slow and maybe that's part of it. But if you're at the midnight at TCM Film Festival, that's when you have your little nap, you know? <laughs> right. And then, and then you wake up for the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. It is an interesting contrast. I had thought about that with the Losey films. 
um, secret ceremony is where the famous burp takes place. Yeah. Oh <laughs> gosh. I mean, she's a little bit less screamy in secret ceremony, but she does have like insane moments in that movie too, where she, yeah, the burp where she's just like eating and then burps in the middle of it. And I mean, there's outrageous scenes in that movie of like them taking a bath, her and Mia Farrow taking a bath together. Like Elizabeth Taylor gets her back licked by Mia Farrow at one point and you're just like, what in the world is going on? But I mean, arguably one of the most famous women in Hollywood history getting her back licked is wild. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But she went there. And I mean, how how many actresses do that sort of thing over and over again in those years? I'm trying to think of anybody else who did it. It was almost like she's the only one who could get away with it in a way. Yeah. Well, and it's weird too, because I feel like there's like a handful of actresses who have done pretty daring European films. Like I think about, you know, obviously actresses like Charlotte Rampling or, you know, just sort of like these women who were in ingenue roles, beautiful roles, and then just started going weirder and darker and more interesting as they got older. And I don't know. I mean, do you have, do you think that there's a connection to that? Do you think maybe it's an age thing? Do you think it is like, do you think it's like Hollywood forces? I mean, part of me is like, I'm trying not to be completely naive about stuff, but at the same time, I'm like, well, they don't actually have to be in art films either. Like, I feel like they're making choices. It's not like the whole stereotype about these kind of psycho bitty type roles or you're like, oh, it's so sad that Shelley Winters is in so many bad horror movies in the seventies and eighties. I'm like, is it though? Like, I don't think so. I think that she's still making choices. Like she's still wanting to work. And it always elevates it. It's always the funniest part. Why do I watch Tentacles? Because it's Jolly Winters. You know? Well, right. And, yeah. and 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 I just think that there's just like such weird attitudes towards that kind of stuff, like where we're feeling sorry for people who are appearing in films. And I'm just sort of like, well, maybe it's not always that. Maybe it's not, oh, poor, <laughs> poor Debbie Reynolds can't yeah. get work. And so she has to be like some weird murderer or something. Maybe that's, what they wanted all along or maybe it's a break from all that glamour i'm also kind of thinking of like carol baker yeah what was it the Lindsay films am i getting the director's name right in italy she did like that trio of films oh yeah yeah and they were they were they're great trash i mean yeah you know she's she's not a hollywood star anymore but she's still gorgeous and and she really goes for it it it, it really is a little bit like the taylor movies in some respect yeah yeah i i mean and i'm that type of person i'm sure you are too where it's nice to see it's gorgeous. You see Elizabeth Taylor in like a place in the sun and you're like, oh my God, like gorgeous woman, like just so like effervescent and lovely. But to me, when I do watch something like Secret Ceremony or when I watch like Night Watch or whatever, I'm like, I don't know. There's something else going on here. Like, I feel like, I feel like there is some, there's something compelling about her because she's, she's still very glamorous and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And but now she's kind of like not restrained. It feels like a real woman. Yeah. I mean, Nightwatch is definitely like that. There's moments that are maybe a little campy where she plays it up, but yeah, you really are just feeling a woman in terror, you know? Right. And it's, it is completely unlike the Hollywood stuff. It's a complete departure. And I, you know, I just wish I could have talked to her about this. Like, what were you thinking? What was in your head? What were you trying to do when you were making these films? Because I want to know how deliberate it was. Like if she was resisting. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I, I want to believe that that's the case. I mean, I know that there is also extreme wealth and drinking involved, (laughs) you know, like I know that when the Burtons were in Europe, they were a force to be reckoned with, obviously, but it's that thing of like, I don't know. I still think that even with all the money and the drinking, I don't think she was shallow. Yeah. I feel like she would still be making educated choices and not being like, well, I'm, I'm washed up. So I guess I'll just put on a caftan and start screaming around Italy or whatever in anyone's movie. I feel like she's, she was still kind of there making deliberate choices for her career. Well, this is what I love about it is that she's developed as an actress. Like I do love the camp stuff. I live for that. That's my bread and butter. But at the same time, there's this depth where she is kind of exploring herself as a person. And it does feel like that's different from the beginning. Like I'm thinking about something like X, Y, and Z, which is probably my favorite from that period because she does it all because it is this amazing acting, but she's also just camp lines. She greets her husband's lover. If it isn't darling, the just. I mean, it's <laughs> ridiculous. And and it's it's so distinctly her. You know, you've seen this in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yeah. And yet here you are in this wild, swinging, you know, 60s movie and she's doing it. Okay, I know you like this one too, right? Oh, yeah. What's okay. that line that she says that, <laughs> I don't know if I can cuss on here, but she's just like, frankly, I don't give a shit. Like she's <laughs> she, getting, she kind of puts that like fake God with the wind <laughs> accent on and it cracks me up. I love it. It just all feels like she's slapping her past because yeah. that does to me, like, yeah, the way she does it. And just mm-hmm. come back here. I'm not done with you yet. Everything in that movie is so funny. Yeah. The clothes, everything about it. And I, oh gosh, I'm spacing out her name now. The other star. Not Susanna York. Is it Susanna York? Oh no, York? it is Susanna York. Okay. You got it. Yeah. I always kind of like her, but I absolutely despise her for not being interesting in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I feel no. guilty about it. <laughs> well, it's really hard too, because it's like, you have to be in a movie with Elizabeth Taylor. So how, how big can you actually go? Like she, yeah. you're going to be in a movie with her and she is like all eyes on her all the time. I feel bad that that's the case for a mm-hmm. lot of people that have to be in movies with Elizabeth but it's that thing of like it's kind of that way too in Sacred Ceremony where I'm like yeah I mean as much as like at the time Mia Farrow was the ingenue right she was yeah. like the young like post Rosemary's baby cute little mod girl but then she was in a movie with Elizabeth Taylor so I mean how how could she even compare in a lot of ways which is you know, I mean, Mia Farrow is a great actress too, like Susanna York, but it's that thing where like, but it's Elizabeth Taylor. I don't know. You can try. (laughs) She's just a little mouse in there. Yeah. You just, everybody gets sucked away. Do you think she was aware of that? Do you think Taylor was aware of that quality? I know. I think, I think she probably was. I mean, as much as she's probably like, I mean, who knows? Maybe she did admit it. Maybe she was like, yes, I am a star and I upstage literally everybody I'm on screen with and I don't give a shit. I just feel like some people have it. Some people just have that essence. And like, if people, if she was like 11 years old and people were like stopping in the street being like, who is this beautiful woman with double eyebrows or whatever, or eyelashes? That was like- Double eyebrows, ooh, that would be fun. (laughs) That would be fun. Uh, Even though Elizabeth Taylor did have great eyebrows in her life, but like that double, like I read that whole thing about her. She's got like a double row of eyelashes or something, which is why her eyes are so, I mean, besides the fact that they have nice 
they're like purple or something, but it's that like, she has like double eyelashes. And so she just, her eyes just really popped because of it. And people would just be like, oh my God, who is this young woman? This 11 year old with these amazing eyelashes. Like woman eyes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and you're so just, full and sad. I, I think she maybe lost some parts for that if I remember right. So yeah. 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 I mean, she probably knew to a certain degree just because it was she just been, I don't know. I don't know what that's like, obviously. Like I'm sitting here like thinking to myself, but every time I, I think about that, when I think about how beautiful she actually was and how, you know, this is like, this was her entire life, yeah, both for good and bad. But I would be like, I can't even imagine what that must be like to like be like this world famous star, this like yeah. celebrity, this, this beauty. And just knowing that about yourself, you know, and that kind of, I just think that's fascinating over like what, what happens with, with people when they have that experience and then later in life, obviously too. Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see her as lacking in generosity or anything like that. I think it, I think you're right in what you're basically saying is she just was, and it was just thrown on her. And I think that causes me to give her a lot of slack with, with things that she's done. Like Mm -hmm. when there's things where she seems like she's, acting like a bit of a princess it's like well you all crowned her right she she didn't ask for this if you're going to tell her that's what she is she's going to act that way yeah and she she was like from the things that I've read about her she cared like very deeply about people and she was definitely a person who was an empath and wanted to take care of people I mean you read all those things about her in Montgomery Cliff I don't think that she even though she was beautiful and maybe knew that she was beautiful. She, it never stopped her from being a kind person. Yeah. You know, I, she has a lot of decades long friendships behind her. Yeah. And just like her yeah. work with AIDS and all of the foundations that she worked with. And I don't know, I think at the end of the day, she still cared for others and felt kinships with people who are sort of lost or struggling, you know? I do think that that's the true Elizabeth. Yeah. And that it's remarkable that she was able to let so much of that out in the end, especially with the AIDS work, because that was so brave. Yeah. You think about how nobody would even talk about it. And she got the, the loudest bullhorn and did it. I think that's her in a nutshell. And that's what I really, I think that's what I really love about this period when I think about it, is that she's kind of being brave about these choices. Yeah. But there's another one, um, the, the driver's seat. Whatever. I mean, on first look, it just seems bonkers. Yes. But if you slow down a little bit and look at it again, if you read the source novel by Muriel Sparks, it's like, oh, God. oh, oh gosh, it's yeah. so deliberate then. That book is bonkers. Like I, yeah. I just recently reread it because they, uh, with, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'll say it, yeah. but um, you know, they're basically working on a Blu-ray of it finally. What? And yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't really know if I, I have information, but I also like, don't know what the, statuses so i feel like i leave it a little foggy leave it foggy. yeah i'll leave it yeah. some fo- i'll leave some fogginess to it but they're working on a blu-ray of it and i'm participating in it in some regard hopefully we'll see so i reread the book and have rewatched the movie a few times the book is nuts so there's a moment where you're like oh this is some again legendary crazy bananas cult film that Elizabeth Taylor did in Europe. But then you're like, oh, but the book is in and of itself. The source material is also really over the top. Yeah. So 
in a different yeah. way, but I mean, it, it follows a lot of the same beats, but it's kind of in a different way. You get more yeah. that, I, I suppose I should provide some background here. I don't know how much people know about the driver's seat, but yeah, go ahead. Muriel Sparks wrote The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, and it has written several kind of subversive novels about women taking control of their own fates and sometimes suffering for it. And the thing about the driver's seat is this woman deciding how she ends her life, basically. She's picking who wins it for and how it happens. And um, that, that to me was a little difficult to understand in the movie at first. Yeah. Because there's, everything is so strange. Like, like she, the, that shopping, she meets this woman, this older woman, and they go shopping together. And you're just listening to the strangeness of their speech talking about dirty novels and whether to buy some gloves, just these mundane things. But the way they talk about it is so strange. Yeah. And in the book, it's not. Yeah, I think the in the book and the book is actually pretty short. I think, you know, it's like more like a novella. But but even when I was reading the book and I'm and trying to divorce everything that I knew from the movie. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is like a strange interaction. It's also the whole beginning part where she goes into the store and she's trying on the dress or whatever. In the book, it felt weird. Like I was like, what is going on with this? Why is she yelling at the store people like about this dress? And in that moment, I was like, okay, well, here we are being set up to book it in and of itself is like laying out this character as being very strange you just try and as the book goes on you just try to figure out like why that is yeah and so i feel like in a way maybe that is a hard task to turn into a film just like this idea of of this story mm-hmm. um so I, it, I don't know i mean it's to me i looked at the book again going like how did they make this a movie it's so deeply weird just from a narrative perspective but they attempted it and they got Liz to do it, which I don't know. After you read the book, did you think that she was perfect for that? Not at all. I yeah. thought she had made it work and made it her own. I would have never cast her in it. I did the same thing. I tried to, to kind of set myself apart. It's hard for me to do this with Sparks novels because I read the ones, I've, I've read the ones that were adapted first. So I've seen mm-hmm. the film first, but I, ha- I do see them as being a completely different thing. So I was trying to do that. And, and that was the only way I could pull things apart was no I would have never in a million years cast Elizabeth Taylor in this role and yet she makes it work she even makes herself as gorgeous as she has seemed like the somewhat ordinary person this is supposed to be and I don't know how she does that (laughs) I I mean sometimes it doesn't work sometimes it doesn't work like the only game in town Hammersmith Mm. is out she tries to play these working class women and it just doesn't work for me (laughs) I just don't buy it yeah she's almost like too glamorous Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to be this humble woman in a one bedroom apartment somewhere. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. I I totally agree. There are just some things that you just can't um, set aside what you know about the person. Have you ever seen, so, you know, I feel like this is maybe like an early entry to this part of her career, but one of my favorite, favorite roles of hers is what is reflections in a golden eye which I feel, I feel like it is sort of that early era of like, she's moving towards the full scope of this period. Yeah. But that movie is that, that movie for being a, you know, chock full of like Hollywood stars, Hollywood director, obviously a very popular book. I'm like, this is one of the most deeply weird films I've ever seen in my entire life. And considering yeah. that it's Rando, Elizabeth Taylor, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you're just going, 
how did this movie get so weird? And I, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the one where I did read the book first. Yeah. And I did think she was perfectly cast in that instance. It was, it was the right energy where it's this gorgeous woman getting away with everything and just not caring about what happens. And she can play that role. Even if she wasn't that person, she can play that role. Right. Cause she has some of that feeling, you know? Yeah. Like and she could I, have turned uh, to the dark side and she didn't. You know? yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I always love when she would do a Southern accent, <laughs> like any <laughs> anytime she would do like a giant or whatever. It's like, you know, anytime she would do a Southern accent, it was a little um, over the top, inherently over the top. I don't know yeah. if that's a thing that term exists, but, um, but in Reflections of a Golden Eye, it's just sort of like she's, she's kind of got that she's very much like got the Southern accent going, but she's very like big, like a bit of a sex kitten, but then she's just like wild. Like she's wild. Like the part where she's like whipping Marlon Brando with like the horse whip. And she's just like, I mean, in the door and everybody's like staring at her. And she, I was like, wow, this, this is, this is what I'm talking about right here. She put her weight on it. She did. Like she was like, (laughs) that shoulder was going back. Yes. And she's like, my horse, my father. Like, I'm like, wow, this is what I live for. I love, I love this whole vibe to her. Yeah. That movie is very strange. And I, but I deeply appreciate it. And it's just because I feel like I'm from the South. And so I'm always like, of course, you know, you grow up, you know, as a Southern person and you're like, oh, you definitely know who Carson McCullers is. And you've definitely heard these types of stories, but then to see it played out with someone as famous as Elizabeth Taylor. You're like, oh my God, amazing. <laughs> Where her Perfect. Southern accent is like a little drunk and loud. That's yes. a Southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> so true, so true. But no, I really feel like that's where it began. Where yeah. There's like little sprinklies, even in Butterfield 8, you could see a little bit of it, but. I was going to say 100%, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But where it was like flowering, where you knew. And, and I think I saw that before I saw all those other movies. So I had it in my head. Yeah. When I finally see X, Y, and Z, I'm like, what is this little bit of magic I'm seeing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how, what do we miss that must be discussed? Is there anything I feel like we've heard? I'm looking, I haven't made a list. I think we kind of covered it all. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it's been a while since I've seen the only game in town, but I know that that one's, uh, you know, kind of a, a, movie from this era that's a lot of people talk about i mean the only other thing i would mention is ash wednesday which is kind of like hard to find i feel like or it used to be i think i saw it on youtube yeah but that movie is almost kind of like i mean it kind of feels like performance art in a lot of ways like with like she's at one point wearing bandages all she's kind of got the whole like I don't know. Uh, she it, it kind of is that eyes without a face look yeah. where she's walking through the hallway of this hospital and she's completely bandaged. And you can tell everything from the face down is Elizabeth Taylor. She's just like her hand movements and her walk and everything, but then she's just banded. It's like surgery glam. Yeah. I don't I don't know how to describe it, but um that yeah, was that, bizarre to me because she's so gorgeous and why is this cranky husband of hers? How could you reject this? Yes. Yes. And I think that that's too another part of that. I keep using the word psycho bitty mm. grand grand dame guignol tradition. 
right? Is that yeah. a lot of a lot of these roles, and this isn't just Elizabeth Taylor, but a lot of these roles that these classic era actresses were now taking. The characters were always being rejected by husbands, being rejected by family members, fighting, getting cheated on, you know, with like women half their age. So they were always just sort of being rejected for essentially just being like a middle-aged woman and then having these very extreme reactions, right? And, you know, obviously that's something that is important to me as was a woman just seeing these that messaging but also in a way reclaiming that messaging being like well hell yeah like if she like if she's gonna go crazy let her go crazy right because she deserves to go crazy or something you know what i mean like in that moment where you're yes absolutely kill all just do what you have to do it's just i guess maybe taking a little bit of the power back in that situation but i feel like that's a lot of these movies i mean that's like x y and z that's ash wednesday that's a lot of this stuff so i I think you've hit the core of it there's so many things to love about that theory but i think that's what it really is and it's not as simple as rebelling against the mgm child stardom it's just the whole idea of being a woman in middle age and how you matter and you're not going to fade away right yeah and how you fight against that in the biggest, loudest, ugliest way, which kind of ends up being gorgeous, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Millie, I'm so glad we had this conversation. Oh, me too. This I feel I feel great. like I have finally breathed out this subject. I just, I wanted to talk about it for so long. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking to me about it. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh. Any Anytime, my sister in... Uh, late 60s, 70s, uh, Elizabeth Taylor appreciation. I appreciate you. It's an important club and I appreciate you as well. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. For more information, including where to follow Millie on social media and listen to a podcast, go to watchingclassicmovies.com. If you're enjoying the show, I invite you to follow, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you for your support. This is Kendall Kruver, watching classic movies. Until next time.